Well, good afternoon. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Amen. Amen. Very grateful um, for the opportunity to preach uh, God's word to God's people um, and our guests on the Lord's Day. Uh, as uh, Steve, Pastor Steve mentioned, we do celebrate uh, the resurrection of Christ every single Lord's Day here, though the the sermon isn't on the resurrection every Lord's Day. Christ is the center of every sermon preached from this pulpit. But I am uh, very grateful to be here today. Grateful that you have chosen to join with us if you're a guest. In um, the mentorship of the elders, I have been encouraged. I guess there's a rumor going around that sometimes I can be a little loud um, or a little, I can get into it sometimes. And so I've been encouraged to uh, be rounded and everything. And so I say that to say... Um, I accept ask, being asked to preach on Resurrection Sunday as a test. So if there's something that I get excited about, it is the center of our faith, right? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. I would encourage you guys, it's very helpful to me, if, um, if I am doing well in the text and you're encouraged by the text, to go ahead and say amen. It's, that's okay. It is helpful to me to understand that you're tracking with me. And um, I'm not trying to uh, encourage you to do that, um, you know, just to do it. But again, if the Spirit of God is bringing things out to you. Please let me know that uh, I'm translating God's Word to you well. I would appreciate that. Um, so with that, um, I have just one point uh, to this, and it is uh, Christ has defeated death. He has risen from the dead. The name of the sermon is the Declaration of Jesus Rising from the Dead, Received with Fear and Great Joy. It comes out of Matthew 28. I'm going to read the whole chapter after the introduction. But we'll focus on the first 10 verses. In the darkness of morning, before the sun has cast its warmth on the earth this first day of the week, a small group of women filled with love for their Savior and grasping to make sense of what comes next in their life, prepare to care for the lifeless body of Jesus. They, like the disciples, have experienced a disappointment like no others have. The disciples once fought over who would be on Jesus' right hand as he triumphantly sat down on an earthly throne to rule Israel and cast off the chains of oppression brought about by Rome's occupation. That was their understanding. Now, here we are, three days removed, and still nothing makes sense. But man's lack of faith and understanding was about to be made well by a risen king. Now read with me chapter 28 of Matthew. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said, Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him. Lo, I have told you. 
And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail. And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid. Go, tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and he spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Our Lord and our God, O Father, would you help, Father, to magnify your name today? Would you help to lift up and to magnify this risen Lord, the Son, Jesus Christ, who lives, who is ruling and reigning now at your right hand? O Father, magnify your Holy Spirit, Lord. Would you pour out your Spirit on us now, Father? Help us, Lord to grasp, to, to contemplate, to understand what it means to worship a, a risen, living Savior, the infinite God that fit Himself into a man, died, rose up, and is alive now, Father. Oh, Lord, would You see fit to glorify Yourself? Help me now, Lord, to convey this truth. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see the beauty of the resurrection, Father. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so we're just going to walk through these first 10 verses. And my goal is to convey with all the power and truth that is in this word what it means that Jesus Christ has defeated death and rising from the dead. Verse 2. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. A second earthquake. Do you guys remember when the first earthquake was? It's at the time of his death on the cross. There's a beautiful symmetry between the events on the cross and in the resurrection. A a chiastic structure like an X that points to something in the middle and then repeats on the other side. So on the cross, right, where Jesus Christ took on the sins of all who would believe, um, there there was absolutely scourging. There was physical pain, horror in the physical torment that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, went through. But that was not... That was not the cup that Christ asked to pass from him, if it could, in Gethsemane. That cup was the cup of wrath that God had, the anger that God had at the sins of all who would believe. That That is what made the Lord of glory tremble in the garden. And on that cross, if you remember, it's daytime, right? It's the middle of the day, and the sky turns to what? It turns to dark, okay? You guys can answer if you want to, feel free. The sky turns to dark, okay? Daytime, darkness, 
Christ, the, the God of life, dies on the cross, and then an earthquake, right? You guys remember that? Okay. And that earthquake signifies what? Or it accomplished what, right? The, the temple uh, curtain was torn between the Holy of Holies, the place where one Levite priest, the high priest, one day of year, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, could enter, right? And the, the absurdity of that, and in that, this high priest that was going to make intercession for everybody himself had to be cleansed before he could go in there. And that cleansing through that sacrifice of an animal was a, a temporary covering, right? It accomplished no forgiveness. It was a temporary covering. The earthquake happens. The veil is split. Access to God is granted not just for all the Levite priests, not just for all the men, not just for all the Jews, but for everybody, right? There was all the different concentric courts and rings that had uh, limitations of access to God. The earthquake happens. The, the temple curtain is torn and access to God is granted because of Christ, okay? But now we see a second earthquake. And consider the events preceding this, okay? It's nighttime, right? The women are preparing. It's still dark. They're going in the morning. Darkness turns to light. Christ, who has been dead for three days, comes to life, right? And then the earthquake. So I, I, want, I just want to point out the, the symmetry, the beauty of that, and how our God tells a story, how he conveys his truth to us. Why is it that stories and movies are so beloved in our culture, many of them foul, but just the idea that we love a good story? I would submit to you because God has created us to enjoy a great story. And he has told the master story, right? He is a master storyteller. He has delivered his truth, his character, his nature through narrative. Largely, right? There's poetry, there's, there's other portions of scripture. But he has chosen to not just tell a, a great narrative, but the greatest narrative to us. And that he delivers life through the death of his son, right? He brings brightness and light from darkness. He creates this great symmetry between these, these two events here on the cross and the resurrection. A second earthquake, earthquake takes place, on, and on the cross, we saw uh, day turn to darkness. Christ died, and then there was an earthquake. Now we see night turning to day. Christ rises from the dead, then another earthquake. I ask you this. As I studied through this, I have to tell you, I I thought I had the events of the resurrection uh, laid out clearly, but the more I studied them, the more I realized I had never really taken a close look at how it happened. In fact, I spent a good deal of time trying to get the timeline together from the four Gospels, which is a little confusing, and there's, uh, I tried it on my own first, and there's a lot of commentaries, and they don't agree totally on the timeline. There's no conflict in the events, but they're, they're not clear, and it took me a while to come to the text and just say, let the Holy Spirit speak through Matthew. So we're going to take Matthew's account here. But I do, I do ask you, this is one of the things that I noticed here. Where is Jesus when the angel rolls back the stone? Where's Jesus at? Every depiction you see of, of the, the empty tomb where Jesus is coming out, um, despite being a, a violation of the second commandment, it has the stone rolled away and Jesus coming out with light, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? Have you seen those? That's not what happens, though, is it? 
And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. Where's Jesus? He's, he's risen. He's, he's gone already. He's already out there. As, as if a stone could hold the one who's created all things back, right? He, he didn't even have, he could have moved it himself. He left in his resurrected body. He's gone. So I ask you, why does the angel roll back the stone? So that we can see what? What God has done. You follow me? We can see what God has already done. God and possibly, we're not told, possibly the angels were the only witnesses to the actual resurrection, okay? As it happened, as the, the, the God of life, the King of glory, Jesus Christ, lied dead in the tomb one moment and then comes to life a second later, God in his wisdom did not decide to show that to any living man. He did that. God is the witness. And again, we're not told, maybe the angels. I just found that interesting. I had never even contemplated that reading through this. Verse 3. The description of the angel. His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. The appearance was like lightning in his raiment, as white as snow. This is a similar description of Jesus when? The transfiguration, okay? Human language fails to accurately convey the glorious appearance of Jesus at the transfiguration or even this messenger of God who simply stands in the presence of God, okay? That is not a glory of his own in a sense. That is the messenger of God coming to deliver the news to sinful man that Jesus, in fact, has done what he said he would do. He is alive. And the only, the only uh, way that Matthew, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, can convey this is lightning, right? Probably the, the brightest thing that they had ever seen. Lightning, this is the appearance of the angel to him. Again, we are confronted with a contrast between Jesus on the cross who three days earlier hung naked. They, were, they crucified uh, criminals naked on the cross in darkness, in blackness of day. And here we are three days later, this beautiful symmetry in contrast where the very messenger of God who has come to declare the risen king is clothed in white raiment. It's his countenance as bright as lightning. I love the way the Lord tells the story. Verse 4. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. The guards, I'm reading from the KJV, it says keepers. The guards shook and became as dead men. The guards witnessing the angel of the Lord first began to shake and fell down as if they had died, okay? The news of Christ's resurrection will bring astonishment to all, but to his enemies, it produces what? Great fear, or any other word that you could put in there. And to his disciples, it produces great comfort. We, we see that it, it it does produce fear in the disciples too, right? We see that. And what does Jesus tell them? We read it a minute ago. Fear not. 
He doesn't say that to anybody else because they're right to fear, right? It produces great comfort and power to the disciples. The chief priests had placed the guards at the tomb in a futile attempt to keep the body of Jesus from being removed. But God had other plans for the guards, didn't he? It would be these very guards who would deliver the news of the empty tomb to the chief priests, to the authorities who had Christ crucified. Again, I mentioned it a moment ago, the futility of thinking that some guards, no matter how intimidating they were or how capable they were, and a stone could keep the God who stretches out the north and hangs the earth on nothing, that they think that they could keep him in here. But God laughs at the foolishness of men, right? He has them in derision. The, the idea that all of the powers of all of the world could come together and could seek to thwart the plans of God, God sits in the heavens and he laughs. He laughs at the foolishness of men. And not only that, these enemies of God are given over to futility of, they, futility of mind. They know he's done miracles, right? They've seen them. And they think that they're going to keep him in this tomb. It's, it's absurdity, right? Absurdity. And in and, and God, again, and how he is a master storyteller, how he is sovereign over all things, how he brings forth his plan in such a beautiful manner, he uses the very guards of the tomb to go and deliver the news that he is gone to the chief priests, to, the, to those who had him crucified. I love it. It's great. Who knows how long the mere act of displaying an empty tomb and, and the angel left these most powerful and intimidating soldiers lying helplessly as dead men on the ground. We're not told, right? We know that by the time the women come, they're gone. But who knows how long they laid there? Uh, just the declaration or the arrival of, uh, of the angel and the empty tomb. We see later in this chapter, we're not going to work through it, it's after verse 10, but we see later in the chapter that the guards, they actually deliver the news of the empty tomb to the chief priests before the women can deliver the news to the disciples. I found that quite interesting. Our sovereign God saw fit to bring the news of his resurrection to his enemies first, at least before the disciples, right? And he used the guards to do it. Consider that for a moment. Again, in our God and how he unveils his truth, his plan, telling, bringing news by the guards that were supposed to, to, to keep the tomb secure, bringing that news to those who sought to have him crucified first, his enemies, before the disciples. Of course, the first people to encounter this news were the faithful women. I saw, um, I saw a meme online that had uh, a couple of guys, um, generic, uh, you know, cartoon guys, and they were supposed to be disciples. And they're like, uh, Jesus is arrested, let's run and hide. And then it showed some women, and they're like, let's follow him to the cross. And let's go care for his body. I found that amusing. It's true. Verses 5 to 7. And the angel answered and said unto these women, Fear not ye. For I know that ye seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, as he said. 
Come see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him. Lo, I have told you. Now by the time the women arrive at the empty tomb, the guards have risen and made their way off to seek help. Okay? Imagine what must have gone through their minds, the, 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 the women. We know what should have entered their minds, right? What should have entered their minds. Look, the empty tomb. Jesus has risen just like he said. But no, the angel had to tell them. The slowness, the slowness of man's heart to truly believe what God has done even after he has told us clearly what he intends to do is on full display here. How do you think we would do? How do you think you would do if you were there? We read the, the account, uh, Brother Marlon read it to us uh, from the New Testament, uh, Matthew 16, of, of this glorious proclamation of Peter recognizing Jesus as the Messiah, and mere minutes later after he says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, tells him what he's going to do, and Peter rebukes him. Right? No, no, That's, that can't happen. Right? And, and, and consider Jesus' very strong rebuke at Peter, whom he loved. Get behind me, Satan, right? That any, any, um, anything that interferes, changes, or seeks to do anything different than the exact design of God anywhere, but specifically in the cross and resurrection, is satanic. Consider that. That any twisting, any emphasis where there is none, or retraction of any of God's plan of redemption is satanic, no matter how good it sounds, right? Peter's words sounded good, didn't they? Can we understand that? He loved Christ, imperfectly, obviously. But no, Jesus, you, you, you can't be crucified. That was satanic in its agenda, right? Because it's not what Christ had said he would do. He said he had to be delivered over. It was the salvation of all the redeemed on the cross, and Peter not realizing is, is interfering with that, right? Or he's suggesting another way. So the slowness of man's heart to truly believe what God has done, even after he has told us what he is going to do, is on full display here. We are no different today. Now consider, the love of God towards his children is beyond our mind's ability to appreciate. Consider the slowness of your own heart. Those of you who have walked with Christ for some time and how we just we struggle with such a lack of conformity to the things that we know we should do or we should be, right? The things that I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do. And yet God is faithful and patient and kind in our unbelief and our lack of faith and our disobedience. He will bring his children, I want to be clear, he will bring his children to, obe- to, to repentance, right? He is a faithful father, right? It's the child, it's the son who's unloved that is not disciplined. But oh, as, it, as we are by nature, slow, stiff-necked, he, he is a loving God. He is patient with us. We see that on display here with the ladies as he reveals uh, himself 
through the angel here, and, and they're just so slow to get what is so clear, right? At least clear to us now. It wouldn't have been at the time. Oh, the love of God towards his children is beyond our mind's ability to appreciate. The angel declares the event that has changed the cosmos. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. The Lamb of God is the Lion of Judah. And so at this point, I I would like to uh, exhort you, brethren, specifically. I wrote a, a little note to myself so I wouldn't forget here. It says, encourage those who battle with sin, which is all of us, right? But some more than others. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead as he said he would. Okay? So what do I mean by that? How do I mean to exhort you in this truth? Uh, If we've been paying attention at all, I'm not trying to talk about, you know, gossip things, but if we've been paying attention at all, we know that there was a, a very beloved apologist who has passed away recently, and all of his life's work, years of work, has been thrown out because it came to light that he was involved in disgusting sexual sin, right? All... It's all of that work for nothing, right? There's another apologist that recently, um, uh, uh, one who I love greatly and have profited in his work, who has uh, been declared to be uh, unfit to continue in ministry because of moral failings. And so I exhort you, brethren. Um, I think Bodhi Bauckham said, uh, the physically strongest man in the Scriptures, the wisest man in the Scriptures, And the man after God's own heart all fell to sexual sin. I would exhort you, those who struggle with such things, and and women now, even if you read about um, the the issues in counseling, um, if that is something, that's just one thing I'm naming, um, I would exhort you, brethren, to put it to death. Put it to death. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, as he said he would. We have the victory. Put it to death. Okay? Men, husbands, fathers. Thank you for your, your prayer, Marlon. Where are you? There you are. And exhorting husbands to love our wives as Christ has loved the church. It can be hard at times because of us, right? Put it to death. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. We have the victory. Put it to death. Your unloving heart, your unloving spirit, your impatience, put it to death. Wives, do you struggle to submit and honor? Of course you do. Look who you're married to, right? Difficult to obey us men because we do things wrong sometimes. Put it to death. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. We have the victory. If you're in Christ, you have the victory. Mothers, are you discouraged? Do you hold up other women from church history as examples and say, I'll never be that. I can never be that. I'm not patient enough. I don't have enough energy. God knows. Repent of what what is sin. Trust his perfect plan. I exhort you, sisters. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. You have the victory. Children. 
children who are old enough to understand the gospel. Children who are young enough to at least understand about Jesus. Do you disobey your parents? I remember my, I'll, I'll say one of my children. I won't embarrass them. One of my children with the verse, um, honor your parents in the Lord, or not that one. Um, it's from the Ten Commandments. That's, I can't quote it off the top of my head. That your days will be long upon the earth, right? Obey your parents that your days will be long upon the earth. My child shared with me when they read that, they thought, oh no, I'm going to die early. Because they, they were aware <laughs> of their disobedience. Children, do you struggle? Children who are old enough to, get to, to, to feel their sin nature, right? To know I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't be this way. I shouldn't think this way. I should listen. I shouldn't do this thing. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. You have the victory if you are in Christ. The angel then tells the women to see the empty tomb. Then instructs them to go what? Quickly and tell. Instructs them to go quickly and to tell. The news of the resurrection, listen, is to produce a fervency and energy to proclaim it to others. Notice how this information isn't even fully grasped by the women. And already there is the charge to go and tell. How many times can we recall our Lord's admonition to tell no one? Remember that? Through all the Gospels, right? Tell no one when he performed his miracles, usually accompanied by the author telling us for his Time had not yet come, right? His time had not yet come. He had not gone to Calvary. He had not risen from the dead. But now what? Now his time has fully come. And we are instructed to tell it from the rooftops. We were in front of Planned Parenthood preaching about a month and a half ago. And there was a brother who he's visited a couple of times. He's not a member here. And we get, as we get very often, people who profess to be Christians who want to come up and tell us that what we're doing is, is not Christian, it's not Christ-like, right? We're to love, and when they say that, they mean, they mean affirm women who are in, and men who are in the act of murder. That's what they mean by love. But they, they were telling him, they were arguing with him, what you're doing is not biblical. And I love his response. He, he said, well, you're right at some level. He said, we were instructed to tell it from the rooftops, but none of these buildings will allow me on the roof, so I'm going to do it here from the street, okay? But there, there is... The, the, that truth, that contemplating the resurrection, okay? This is real. Brothers and sisters, this is real. Jesus Christ really was dead in a tomb and really is alive physically right now. He is coming back physically. We will see him with our own eyes. We will hear his voice. We, they, they, they grabbed his feet. They worshiped him. He's real. This really happened. If you get it, it should produce, the Holy Spirit should produce in you a fervency and a desire to share the life-giving gospel with others. And if it doesn't, I'm not talking about struggling with pride, fear of man, and all these things. That's very real. But if it doesn't produce that, something is wrong. Because it does. These women don't, we, we see in the other, the other gospels, they still don't really know what's happened. 
They're still confused about it. They come back to the tomb again with, with, with John and Peter. All right, they're, they're, Their minds are swirling, and yet they're already going to tell before they even get it. Okay? I, I am very grateful to many of you who uh, encourage me. You, you, you tell me that I encourage you in, in evangelism. I appreciate that. Um, I, I use this as an example. Don't misunderstand me, not, not to, to puff me up, but to confess to you, okay, in regards to sharing the gospel, that the Lord put that desire in me instantly, and I was sinfully reluctant for a long time. A fear of man, uh, a fear of um, people thinking that I was one of those like, crazy people who just talked about Jesus all the time. Um, I was very, very slow in obedience. And so when you guys give me compliments, I appreciate it. I try to treat it like, like a, a rose that I can admire the beauty and fragrance of it and then pass it off to God because that's who that compliment is intended for. And I share that with you that I may encourage you that if you feel that, that desire to share Christ the, the reality of a risen Savior, if you feel that, and, and you just think, it's so hard, it's, I, I get so intimidated, I felt like this for years and I don't do it, there's hope. We serve a risen Savior, right? You feel that fervency. Share the gospel. The Lord, will, will, we're responsible to, to do our best to know and to equip ourselves with tools, but the Lord does it. He does it all, Right? Nobody came to you with just the most eloquent argument ever and you said, well, I'm, I'm a Christian. Now, no, that was the Holy Spirit. That was His mercy on you. But He used somebody. He used somebody to do it. And He'll use you. I lost my place. The angel then tells the women to see the empty tomb, then instructs them to go quickly and tell. The news of the resurrection is to produce a fervency and energy to proclaim it to others. Notice how this information isn't even fully grasped by the women, and already there is a charge to go and tell. I read that whole thing already. Forgive me. The Lord wants you to hear that again. Verse 8. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy, and did run to bring his disciples' word. That's where I got the title of the message, the way that this information was received with fear and great joy. The news of Christ's resurrection and commission to go and tell the disciples produce both fear and great joy within their hearts. If we have truly encountered the risen Christ, we should be confronted with both of these emotions when contemplating this reality, okay? It, it is, it's a different fear for those who are outside of Christ. There is the fear of the judge, the holy and righteous judge. And you are condemned already. If you are here today and you have not bowed the knee to King Jesus, right now you stand condemned before a holy and righteous God. I would exhort you to trust the gospel. But this fear is a reverential awe. It is, consider Isaiah, right? The great prophet of Israel. In his vision, 
where he sees a pre-incarnate Christ high and lifted up, train filling the room, um, the, the smoke filling the room. And instantly, what does, he, what does he see instantly? His sin. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. Okay? There is, and, when, and he is a servant of God. And he's a savior, yes, but I mean, he communes with God. There's no doubt about this. And in the reality of a pre-incarnate Christ, this same Christ, right? There's fear. It's a different kind of fear. The news of the resurrection, contemplated, really grasped, right? Really grasped, thought about. It produces this fear and great joy. Why does it produce joy? Why does it produce joy? The resurrection of Christ. What is our greatest need from the moment we are born, conceived? Our greatest need is to have our sin debt erased. And we are powerless to do it, right? There's nothing. There's no amount of Hail Marys or penance or helping elderly people, giving to charity. Nothing. How much good do you have to do before you're no longer a murderer, right? If we've been angry with our brother without cause, the holy God of heaven sees that as a murder. There's a myriad of things we're guilty of before we even perform, before we even can form permanent memories, right? We're sinners. Vipers and diapers, they say. But if you're in Christ, you're forgiven. Contemplating the resurrected Jesus Christ should produce both fear and great joy. And if it doesn't, brothers and sisters, consider the wretchedness of your sin. Consider, I, I mention this all the time when, when preaching um, outdoors. God has seen the things that you've done in secret. He's seen the things that you've done that nobody knows about. Thoughts that have gone through your head. Maybe you entertained them. Maybe you thought, where did that come from? God's seen it. And if you are in Christ, you are forgiven. That anger that the father had at that sin was placed on his son. And the son died taking that wrath and then rose from the dead and contemplating that, that your sin before a holy and righteous God has been settled should produce fear and great joy. You guys following me? Verse 9 and 10. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail, it's a greeting. And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said unto them, Be not afraid, go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there they shall see me. The women who came to care for the body of Jesus are the first to be told of Christ's resurrection by the angel. But now, they will be the first to encounter the risen King. The first one. Right? What a fitting reward for these women who cared for Jesus. Now we see something different. We see something different though. We see the start of something right here. We just read it. Something that will never end. We see man worshiping the Son of God. All through Christ's earthly ministry, we see astonishment, praise, 
amazement by the crowds and disciples, but now the proper and fitting response to Jesus, Jesus takes place. For the first time, Jesus Christ is being worshipped by his redeemed children. Jesus tells the women to fear not. This is a natural reaction for anybody who has sincerely contemplated the implications of the resurrection. I never noticed that before. I never, I never noticed that. That Jesus Christ had not been worshipped until he rose from the dead. In fact, that is one of the strongest, uh, there's many, but a very strong evidence as to Jesus Christ, his claim that he is God, right? I'm sure you guys have encountered Jesus Christ never said, I am God, because he never said the words, I am God, right? Because he spoke the way they spoke 2,000 years ago. But, oh, he said it. We don't have time to look at it, but that's why they took up stones to stone him, because he made himself one with God, right? But right here, and C.S. Lewis brings this out in his, his famous argument about Jesus Christ can be a madman, he can be a liar, or he can be the son of God. And those are the only options. Why? Because a good moral teacher doesn't accept worship, right? You, you can't. He is to be despised as a false prophet unless he is who he says he is, unless he is God. Because God is the only person who can be worshipped. If you worship angels, if you worship disciples, anybody, you, we can look up to Christian brothers and sisters, but if you worship them, it's idolatry. It's the height of idolatry. All praises do God, right? Jesus Christ is being worshipped, and he receives it. This is the evidence of Christ being the second person of the Trinity. He is God. Considering the implications that are going on of, of what's taking place here, I, I want to read a, a quote to you. So, contemplating the implications of the resurrection, I'm reminded of a video that I saw of Jordan Peterson, who is not a Christian. He's a deep thinker. Not a Christian. It's very recent. You guys can check this out online. It's great. He broke into tears as he talked about the great narratives through human history, intangible ideas of morality and the objective reality of life and how they touch in the person of Jesus Christ. He states, and I quote, I find this reality oddly plausible and the implications are terrifying. Close quote. So as this very gifted intellectual man begins to consider the implications of what Jesus said being true, and it sure seems to him as if they're true, that's what he's saying, it's terrifying. It should terrify us at some level, right? If we really, really give ourselves to understanding what this means, right? What this means. This is an unconverted man who has thought long enough about the resurrection of Jesus to have a similar reaction to these women here. Unconverted man confronted with our risen king should fear, but that is all they can do. To the children of God, Jesus says what? Fear not. But then there's the imperative to go. Yes, in this verse, the go means go and tell the disciples of, me, of the meeting to come. But Jesus will expand on this, right? The Great Commission is around the corner. It's right at the end of the chapter. So it should, it should produce that in us. 
I want to close by reading Psalm 24 to you. And I'm going there because after we end that chapter there, Jesus spent a a short time, 40 days on the earth after he rose and showed himself to the 5,000. He met with the disciples privately. But then he ascends. And here we have in, in Psalm 24, written hundreds of years earlier by David, uh, written by David, we sing about David uh, as uh, in Jesus. Uh, in regards to Jesus, is David's son, yet David's Lord, right? Listen to his account. I'll read all of it, but I'll, I want to draw your attention, especially to the end. The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, thereof the world, and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas, and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul into vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob, Selah. Now listen and hear of this triumphant risen Savior here. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up. Ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. So I'll ask you today, in closing, do you know this risen Jesus? He is the King of glory. At this moment, He is ruling and reigning from the heavens. He is bringing all enemies underfoot as His footstool. You will stand before Him. Every person here, every person that has ever lived, will stand before Jesus Christ. You are a day closer today could be your last Resurrection Sunday. It could be your last Sunday. It could be your last day. We don't know. You will stand before Him, every one of us. And some of us will emulate what these ladies did when they saw Him, the first people to see the risen Savior. They fell at His feet and worshipped. I pray that's all of us here. But if you're outside of Christ, that's not the encounter you'll have you'll meet a very different side of King Jesus. And you'll be charged to depart from him and cast into a lake of fire created for Satan and his angels. So I ask you, if you're here and outside of Christ, what sin do you love so much that you would destroy your own soul and go to hell over it? Payment has been made. Jesus Christ died on the cross for the sins of all who would believe that you, you can live today. Repentance and faith, nothing you do, just the sin in your hand you bring. Repentance, an old-fashioned word, it it means to turn, a, a change of thought that produces a change of action. And faith, not in in any good works you can do, faith in the works of Jesus Christ. You can have life, you can have forgiveness. You could have a relationship with your Creator, a new heart, a flesh, 
where you've had a heart of stone that loves sin and oppression and like a dog will return to your own vomit to lap it up. God says freedom. Freedom is available in Jesus Christ, the risen God. Our Lord and our God. Oh, Father, how we thank you for Jesus. How we thank you for your spirit that testifies of the living Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, I pray for my dear brothers and sisters now. Would we be encouraged, Father? Lord, if your spirit indeed convicted of sin, of certain things, sins of commission or omission, things that are missing from our life, Father, oh, Father, would we contemplate the resurrection of Jesus Christ? He's given us the victory. The war has been won. We just need to take it, Father. If there's been conviction of sin, oh, Father, give us fervency. Give us obedience, dear God. And Lord, I ask, Father, as you've had mercy on so many in this room, if there is one outside of Christ, would you reveal the glories of who Christ is to them today, Father? What a testimony there could be of being converted on Easter Day, Father. Oh, Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus, Father. We thank you for forgiveness. Help us to believe in this risen Savior. Father, we pray this in the name of our risen King Jesus. Amen.